I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millennium Money Professional. My name is Dev Raga. I'm your host. And in this episode, we will discuss the importance of paying attention to investment fees. We will explore some of the types of fees and how they impact on your portfolio, particularly when it comes to managed funds and ETFs. The take-home message here is, just like investment returns compound, investment fees also compound. But this time, they work against you, the investor. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment and entertainment. In the first part of this episode, I'll go through some of the fees associated with investing. I think it's important to know the fees, the structures and also learn about definitions. And to clarify, we'll be talking about stock market investing mainly outside of super funds, particularly when it comes to ETFs and index funds. So why is investing not free? Just remember, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Even though there are so-called free funds or free brokerage firms, trust me, nothing is free. You are paying for it somehow. And it just means it's not as transparent as it probably should be. There are investment firms which offer products and services which you can buy, which have investments within them. Now, investment firms are not charities. They're not government funded. They are private corporations trying to sell a product or service, and in return, they want to make a profit, just like your local grocery store or your Woolies or your Coles or your bowling alley. This is why investing is not free. Now, there are two broad types of investments when it comes to diversified structures in the stock market. You can either buy managed funds or you can buy ETFs or buy shares directly. So what is a managed fund? I get this asked a lot. This is when your money is pooled along with other investors and the fund manager can use those funds to buy assets, usually stocks, bonds or even property. You own the units in that fund, which then own the underlying assets. If the value of the underlying assets rises or falls, this is then reflected in the unit price of that managed fund. Now, a managed fund can have cash, bonds, property, equities, or alternative funds. These are called single asset managed funds. You can also get funds which have mixed asset classes, which are based on how aggressive or how conservative your risk profile is. This is when they're called growth, balanced, conservative, or just cash funds. And sometimes these funds can just track an index fund, which is called a passively managed fund, which tracks an index. Or they can be actively managed funds where the fund manager makes the decision on which assets to buy and when to buy or sell them. What are some of the fees to watch out for when it comes to managed funds? Number one is establishment fee. Now, in America, sometimes they're called front-loaded fees. 
In Australia, they may charge you a fee to open an investment account. This can be a fixed fee or this can be a percentage fee. And if it's a percentage fee, this can be as much as 1% to 5% of your initial investment amount. Now remember, we're talking about managed funds that are either passive or active, not just passively managed index funds. Number two is contribution fee. Sometimes funds will charge fees on the amount your contribution is. Now this is different to when super funds, for example, charge a contributions tax. Now that's government mandated tax. So the contribution fee in this case can either be a percentage of the amount you contribute or a fixed amount. Again, this can range between 1% to 5%. You may find such fees are more for actively managed funds and not so much about passively managed funds that track an index. Number three is the management fee. This is the yearly fee charged and is usually taken from the fund's performance. You may not actually see the fees come out of your account. And I think this is kind of sneaky, but it provides an illusion of being free. But it's not. For example, even Vanguard, the ASX 300 managed fund that tracks the ASX 300 index, charges a 0.16% expense ratio of management fee. This comes off the performance of the fund. So let's say if the yearly performance of that particular fund is 8%, then your returns is actually 7.84% after fees. Number four is performance fee. This is usually for actively managed funds, and it also means high-risk funds. The term 2 and 20 comes to mind. If the fund performs well, then they may charge you a performance fee, and this can be quite significant, up to 20% of the profits. And usually this is done if the performance exceeds any targets. Again, very high risk and usually actively managed fund managers do this. Number five is advisor fees. Now this fee is paid to your financial advisor if they helped set up the fund in the first place. Now I'm not sure why this is the case. It should be done as a once-off flat fee maybe because they've set it up and it's basically done you know, passively thereafter. But usually in advisor fees, it can be an ongoing fee as well. Now, also remember, and we're going a little bit out of topic here, super funds. Some super funds also charge you an advisor fee. And you really have to ask yourself, what advice are you actually getting for that fee? So if you're not getting any advice for the fees that you're paying, then why pay an advisor fee? Number six is miscellaneous fees. So there are exit fees, there are change in investment management fees, and there are also withdrawal fees. In America, that's called backloaded fees. So the bottom line is you need to know these fees. And this is not even taking into account any buy or sell spreads, which is a form of fees anyway. Now I've discussed about this in depth in previous episodes. So what happens if you buy ETFs or even direct shares? Even though ETFs kind of behave like shares in that they're a parcel and can be traded on the stock market, the fees involved can be very similar to managed funds. They may also have established fees, management fees and indirect costs. And when it comes to buying direct shares or even ETFs, you need to pay for the privilege and use a brokerage firm. So what's a broker? Now I've done an episode on how to pick a stockbroker way back in episode 229 if you're interested. A broker is basically a middleman who helps you transact and buy you the shares. Comsec, Selfwealth, Perla, superhero. They're all stockbrokers and mostly these days they're done online, although you can get yourself a physical broker at great expense if you really want. A stockbroker can be full service or limited service. For the average investor who's listening into this episode, you don't need a full service broker. 
Brokers are for-profit companies, and they're looking to help you transact. But of course, they want their piece of the pie as well. They don't do things for free, even if they advertise it as free brokerage. So let's talk a little bit about brokerage fees. This is the cost for you to make that transaction, to buy that ETF or buy that share. If you end up buying an ETF, all the ETFs will have a management fee as well as the brokerage fee. So in essence, you may be paying two sets of fees. One is a management fee of the actual ETF, and the other one is a brokerage fee. Now, if you're buying direct shares, there usually isn't a management fee associated with that. Usually for ETFs, management fees are less than when compared to managed funds. But of course, to buy managed funds, there isn't any brokerage. So you need to do some mathematics here to see which strategy works out better. And this is a very common question that I get. Essentially, if you're an average investor that's investing weekly or fortnightly or monthly, it's going to work out cheaper for you to buy an ETF if you keep your brokerage as low as possible. Now, usually brokerage fees are flat rate, anywhere between five and 20 bucks a pop. And sometimes there are some brokers who say free brokerage. But remember what I said, nothing is free. What they mean is they don't charge for brokerage, but you may find their buy-sell spreads are not as attractive, which means you're not getting the best prices, which means you're kind of paying fees anyway. And sometimes their foreign exchange rates are significantly to your detriment. Generally speaking, I don't spend, or I don't recommend spending more than a percent of your investment parcel on brokerage fees. This means if you want to buy a $1,000 parcel of ETFs or shares, then your maximum brokerage should be around 10 bucks. The other thing is, which a lot of people don't know about, some brokers charge you a fee to sell your shares or ETFs as well. So you've got to factor that in. So you've got to pay to buy and you've got to pay to sell. Now, the equivalent of that is when you go to Coles or Woolies, you've got to pay to get in and you've got to pay to get out in addition to paying for your groceries. Now, the catch with brokerage is if you buy and sell frequently or hyper-frequently, each time you will need to pay brokerage fees. And some brokers also charge what's called an inactive fee. That is, if you don't actively use their brokerage firm on a you know, set period of time, they're going to have fees associated with that. Remember, brokerage firms are private corporations that are trying to make money, but they're also trying to help you transact for your investments. So here's the paradox of investment fees. Usually in our lives, if you pay more money, you're likely to get better things and better service. Whether it be homes, cars, food, furniture, tech products, our brains are wired like this. But in investing, this theory is not always the case. It's not always the case that a higher fee means better investment returns. In fact, there are plenty of studies around to prove otherwise. Morningstar actually researched this and titled it Fund Fees Predict Future Success or Failure way back in 2016, and they showed that over 5, 10 and 20 years, the lower fee funds often outperform the higher fee funds. In fact, this is also proven across geographic locations and even bond funds as well. In addition to these costs, we have to think about other things as well. Number one, taxation. Number two, accounting fees. Number three, any penalties which may be charged, etc., etc. The bottom line is investing costs money. It's never free. And when something is free, guess what? It isn't, or there is no transparency in the fee structure. Now, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about how fees impact on your overall portfolio. And you may be surprised how dramatic the results are. Be right back. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, welcome back. We all know the power of compounding, but remember, fees also compound. So it's really important to understand the impact of fees on your portfolio. There are three take-home points Any investment has costs and there is no such thing as free to invest. Number two is money you pay in fees is money you don't have in your portfolio and it all adds up over the long term against you, the investor. And number three is the higher cost investments have to overcome those costs, which means often they end up doing poorly in terms of net returns. That is returns after costs. To highlight a basic impact of investment fees, let's use Two examples, Amy and Rob. Rob decides to start off with a $100,000 investment. And then to that, he contributes $1,000 additionally every month. So he starts off with $100K, then he adds $1,000. Let's assume his average return over about 30 years is 7%, which is not unusual. There is no cost to his investment. Now, I know this is unrealistic, but let's assume this for a second because I'm trying to illustrate a point. Now, Amy, on the other hand, decides to invest the same $100,000 to start off with and the same $1,000 every month with the same 7% per annum return over 30 years. But her investment costs are 1% per annum assets under management. How much will Rob have after 30 years? Rob will have about $2,031,621. How much will Amy have? Well, that 1% fee... Amy only has $1.528 million. That's a whopping difference of $503,000. That's 32% less for Amy than Rob, even though her investment fees were only 1% per annum. And the moral here is that Amy's 1% per annum over 30 years just compounds against her. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's unrealistic for Rob to not have any investment cost, and you would be right. After all, I did mention it over and over again previously, nothing is free when it comes to investing. Now, let's assume Rob chooses an index fund with a management fee of about 0.1%, which is, you know, pretty low. Now, the same parameters, 
30 years, 7% compounded returns, what's the difference between Amy and what's the difference between Rob? Now, Rob has $1.885 million, even though he pays 0.1% in management fees. He still has over $305,000 more than Amy. That's still 19% more. So in both scenarios, Amy has heaps of money to lose, but may not see it that way as her portfolio is slowly getting eroded. And that's the definition of opportunity cost. Now to conceptualise this, the simple fact is when Amy pays the extra fee, this means that fee is not invested and doesn't stay invested because it goes to the person that's providing it with that managed fund. And that means that extra investment is not allowed to compound. And those dividends from those extra investments never eventuate. And that's why fees matter. You're robbing your future self, your future portfolio, by paying unnecessary fees. Now, at this stage, I think it's really important all of the listeners log into their super and try and find out how much fees you're actually paying. You find it very hard to calculate, and it's by design, I think. It's not easy. So make sure you pay attention to your super fees as well as your fees in investments outside of super. There is no point investing outside of super and then hemorrhaging fees within your super. So does this mean we should only focus on fees? And the answer is, of course not. In fact, there is some evidence within Australian super funds that sometimes lower fees may in fact produce lower returns. But in my view, there is a sweet spot and it's not a universal theory. The moral here is I'm not saying focus only on the fees, I'm saying focus also on the fees. Therefore, don't only focus on gross returns, look at returns after fees that have been deducted for your portfolio. The Productivity Commission on Super Fees finalised with this statement, and this sort of generalised statements can actually be applicable to funds outside of super. And they said higher fees are clearly associated with lower net returns over the long term. The material amount of member assets in high-fee funds, coupled with persistence in fee levels through time, suggests there is significant potential to lift retirement balances overall by members moving or being allocated to a lower-fee and better-performing fund. That's the critical message. You need a mix of both. This is where you should go and listen to my episode on calculating returns and learn about net returns. Net returns means returns after fees. And this is also an important number to pay attention to. Also pay attention to fees and really ask yourself, what value are you getting for the higher fees you may be paying? After all, it's your money. Quite often the funds with the higher fees may not consistently outperform the market over a long term, but may perform better in the short term. And even if they outperform for some years, it may not be the same funds outperforming in all of the years. So that's about it for this episode. That's the difference, and that's how investment fees can work against you. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using, or leave a five-star rating on all of the platforms, that's even better, and please leave a positive review. On that note, we have this review from Lincoln, who says, thanks for your great content as always. I've just read today's episode, and he's dated that as 26th of April, 2023, and I think there's a misunderstanding. I might be wrong. But my understanding is that bond yields raises to attract investors. It does not raise because there are too many people buying it as a supply and demand ratio. Therefore, the inverted yield curve is because bond investors have to be better rewarded if buying the two-year bonds. Now, I'm not a finance person. 
I'm a surgeon, so I'm very happy to be proven wrong. Any thoughts? By the way, I was looking for a way to send this message to you, but I only found the only way to do this is via Apple Podcast Reviews. Cheers, Lincoln. Thanks, Lincoln. The easiest way to reach me is via Twitter at DevRaga or via Facebook, DevRaga. I just wanted to make a brief moment to answer this question for Lincoln and for everyone else that's read this comment because I think it's a really important question. Let's define some terms here, some of the basics. Yield, how much income an investment generates separate to its capital. So company ABC share is valued at $100 and produces $1 income per share. It means it has a yield of 1%. Now I've done episodes on this in the past. Now if company ABC share goes up in value to $200 and still only produces $1 income per share, it means the yield is now halved to 0.5%. Notice in this case, the yield is worse off, but overall you've made money as the company share price has doubled. Now let's use the same concept to bonds. If you buy a bond worth $100 and it has 1% yield, it means it'll give you a yearly income coupon rate of a dollar. If the bond now drops in value, say $50, it still gives you a dollar in income. All of a sudden, the yield is now 1%, but now it's 2%. It's doubled. Generally speaking, in investing, the longer you hold an investment, the more returns investors want because it means they're taking on more risk because they're giving you the money to invest it. So why should they part with their own money to invest it for long periods of time and take more risk? It doesn't make any sense. So they want more returns. So if you hold a bond for a longer term, then the yield should be greater. If you hold a bond for a shorter term, then it means yields should be smaller. But what is concerning about the yield curve is the longer you hold it, the curve slope upwards and then flattens off, which is normal. Now, we're mainly comparing treasury bond yields in the US market and not corporate bond yields and not company share yields. But what is tending to happen just before recessions as patterns is the longer you hold it, the more risk you take, but the yields are dropping, which is paradoxical. This doesn't mean the bonds themselves are rising in value. It just means the actual income, it's getting lower and lower. And that's where I think, Lincoln, you may have misinterpreted this concept. This is in reference to people looking to invest their money and have the option of investing in the stock market or in the long-term treasury bond market. And as the market changes, new longer-term bonds are being offered in some markets on lower yields compared to shorter-term bonds. This means investors may choose not to invest for the long term and only invest for the short term. Now, if you think what bonds are, you're giving up your money to the government or private entity and in return, they promise to pay you back the money, but pay you a coupon in the form of yield or dividend, which is technically guaranteed returns. Now, Lincoln, I hope this clarifies your question. If you have any further questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Happy to discuss this further offline. Now, remember, the more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast, so please keep them coming. My name's Dev Raga, and this is My Millennium Money Professional. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.